Welcome to the world of computer science, matrices, efficiency analysis, NP problems, algorithms, and more. Welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. The Computer Science Software Engineering College Courses Review Podcast. Where we describe the core courses that all aspiring computer scientists and software engineers should take on their college path. And now your host, Andres Arriaga. What is going on, you bunch of fluffy animals? This is the CSSE College Courses Review Podcast, bringing you the one, the only, Analysis of Algorithms course. But on this episode, we're getting a special announcement. A couple of days ago, I met Andrew Sario and his podcast, Engineering IRL. And Engineering IRL is an amazing podcast that talks about how to become a better engineer in multiple aspects and how to cope with your work as an engineer. It also talks about a lot of technical and software-related aspects as well. So, you know, the show brings immense value to the table, and I recommend all of you to listen to it, at least some of my favorite episodes, like why a programming mindset is applicable to all engineers and professionals, how to improve my technical knowledge fast, and how much of your degree is used as an engineer, which, by the way, I think it's important for me and you who are listening. <laughs> Andrew is a friend of the podcast, so go check him out and uh, get a lot of cool and valuable information from him. Now, what he tries to do with his podcast is to open up the life of an engineer, the perks, the advice, the struggle, and most importantly, the amazing world of applied knowledge and insight. And what better episode to introduce him in uh, than this course, Analysis of Algorithms. It's designed to make your mind explode and find meaning to all which you have learned up to that point. Not only that, but courses ask complicated and technical as the computer science courses, you will need to get good strategies that help you study, learn, and grow as an engineer. You can find this and more in Andrew Sadio's Engineering IRL. Okay, so what is this course? The Analysis of Algorithms course. This is the official beginning of the computer science world in the major. Here, you will be enlightened. The main thing you want to get out of this course is the ability to implement algorithms that solve problems sensitive to the size of the input, the time, and the efficiency of the solution. Now, if that sounded like fancy word gibberish um, and you didn't understand it that much, don't worry. We will cover that in a second. Okay, so why is this course important? It's important because it gives you the expertise and knowledge necessary to analyze and implement the various types of algorithms and existing strategies in problem-solving environments. It also provides you with the tools that will strengthen you in advanced topics of software engineering and computer science. Okay, shall we go straight into the contents? Because I think the contents are amazing. You guys are going to learn a lot in this episode, and I hope that you get away with some useful information, useful data, and more than that, just desire to learn, okay? Number one, efficiency, measurement, and analysis, and order of algorithms, okay? Number one in the first section would be definitions of algorithm analysis. First, for the ones who don't know, an algorithm is a series of finite steps needed in order to obtain something. You might think of it as a cooking recipe, but instead of baking a cake, we will obtain something of value like data. Importance of the analysis and the efficiency. 
That's point number two. If you just create algorithms and program them without any further thought or the other than effectiveness, you might get off the hook. However, in some cases, the efficiency is vital. For example, databases. As we explained in the previous episode, database queries need to return a result in less than 30 seconds to be considered acceptable. And the more advanced we get, the shorter the time span will become. Therefore, if you don't plan for efficiency as well, your algorithm and your overall solution might be worthless. And of course, it not only applies for databases. There are areas like simulation of computer graphics and simulation in general, web development, data analysis, and many more that need effective and efficient algorithms, both. Point number three, temporal and spatial complexity. Okay, now we're getting into the meat. <laughs> Now, how do we analyze the efficiency of an algorithm? The approach that we will learn is through temporal and spatial complexity. Spatial complexity has to do with the space and memory needed to execute the algorithm successfully. Some algorithms like Fibonacci might saturate the memory with certain inputs and cause problems in practice, so it's important to factor in this trait at analysis time. Time complexity has to do with the amount of time it takes to execute the algorithm with a certain input. Depending on how you design the steps and the logic behind the algorithm, you affect the time it needs to execute. Okay, now measuring spatial complexity is relatively simple, but it depends on the architecture and the memory spaces which are needed to represent data, right? But it's solvable. How about time complexity? What will you measure? Seconds? nanoseconds, minutes, it's sort of ambiguous because time is also dependent on the hardware in which the algorithm is run. That is why we measure the time complexity with elemental operations. Elemental operations are just a way of giving a value to an instruction. For example, in a computer program, we decide that 2 plus 2 will take only one elemental operation. Consequently, if that 2 plus 2 was inside a while loop, then it will need n elemental operations, with n being the amount of times it returns to the beginning of the loop. Algorithms that take n elemental operations are said to have an order of n. But it doesn't stop there, because the, because the input may change, thus affecting the end result in complexity of the algorithm. A perfect example of this is the sorting algorithms, to sort out vectors of integers. Depending on how messed up the input vector is, the complexity might change. It might take the algorithm n elemental operations, or it might take n squared, or it might take it in no n whatsoever. And in this case, the order of the algorithm is constant, represented, represented with a 1. So you see, there is a medium case, a best case, and a worst case. These all have names in computer science, and they are big O, omega, theta, and you could call maybe for little o. But the main three are big O, omega, and theta. Okay, big O describes the upper bound, which is the most pessimistic case. That's the worst case. Omega describes the lower bound, which is the most optimal case, or the best case. And theta describes the exact bound, which is the medium case. Uh, little o describes the upper bound, but it cannot be the same as the function. It's just a little side note, there are more of these notations. However, the three basic and most important ones are big O, omega, and theta. And well, that's the basics for the beginning of the course. <laughs> and for you to be able to analyze algorithms at a very basic level. 
Now, section number two, intractability and introduction to NP problems. Okay, we will first go over the concept of a Turing machine. As you may recall, a Turing machine is an abstract machine which represents a computer. It receives an input, and based on the instructions or rules it has inside, it determines what to do with the input, resulting in an output. Now, a Turing machine receives a tape with cells, and in each cell you have a symbol. Then, based on the rules, it modifies the tape and writes a new sequence of symbols, which would be the output. That new tape, that new modified tape, is the output. Why am I telling you this? Well, I need to explain the difference between a deterministic Turing machine and a non-deterministic Turing machine. The main difference is that the deterministic Turing machine has only one action for each case, meaning that if it found a particular symbol, then it will only do one action. Meanwhile, a non-deterministic Turing machine can have various actions for that one symbol. You see, it has various options, not just one. That's why it's non-deterministic. And now that you know what Turing machines are, we can jump into NP theory. Bear with me here. P is polynomial complexity, the class of decision problems which can be solved in polynomial time by a deterministic Turing machine. Okay, what does that mean? They are the problems, as we would say, easy, quickly solvable problems. NP is a non-deterministic polynomial complexity, the class of decision problems which can be solved in polynomial time by a non-deterministic Turing machine. Equivalently, it is the class of problems which can be verified in polynomial time by a deterministic Turing machine. NP hard is the class of decision problems which all have problems in NP can be reduced to an polynomial time by a deterministic Turing machine. NP-complete is the intersection of NP-hard and NP. Equivalently, NP-complete is the class of decision problems in NP to which all problems in NP can be reduced to in polynomial time by a deterministic Turing machine. But then you get the famous problem of the P equals NP, which basically asks whether every problem whose solution can be quickly verified, meaning in polynomial time, can also be solved quickly, meaning in polynomial time? This is the great question, guys, and it's something that goes very deep into computer science, and way back in the day, I'm talking about von Neumann, I'm talking about when they started to figure all this computer thing out, back in the 50s. And um, truth is, nobody has ever been able to correctly answer this problem. Uh, whoever does will receive a huge amount of money, and that has been the same since the 50s, uh, $1 million specifically back in the 50s. I don't know how much it will be cost now, but it is a very interesting, profound, and complex problem. Okay, section three, divide and conquer. The general approach is basically, if you have a big problem, chop it down into simpler problems and do it as much as you need until you solve the big initial problem. The case of the binary search, the merge sort, and the quick sort are perfect examples of this. Its use in modular programming uh, can be evidenced with big functionalities broken down to classes or structures, which are then broken down into attributes and methods, and so on and so forth. It's basically 
a huge concept that says if you want to solve a big complex problem chop it down into simpler problems solve them and then you can get the result for that big problem in the first place section 4 dynamic programming dynamic programming is a method for solving a complex problem by breaking it down into a collection of simpler subproblems solving each of these subproblems just once and sorting their solutions using a memory based data structure meaning an array a map or something else so you see it has sort of like the same nature as divide and conquer however it uses a very important characteristic which is that you store some of those results in memory based data structures Fibonacci can be a perfect example of dynamic programming optimization because as you know or maybe you don't know Fibonacci is a function which requires a lot of calculations you first go if the input is equal to zero then return zero if the input is equal to one then return one however if it's not equal to zero or one then it must return remember recursion the same function however with the input minus one plus the same function with the input minus two you see how this can go whack because what if it's a big number dude if it's a big number this thing will make it go i mean will make your computer be like dead <laughs> just out of the blue therefore in dynamic programming instead of calculating all of the different functions you store them because what happens if you have an input of say 100 well if you have a 100 input it is most likely that in one of those forks of the function you'll have to calculate something that you did beforehand in time therefore what you should have done is to store the first time that you got the result into a global array or something that all the program can see and then when it needs to calculate it it doesn't actually calculate it it just replaces it with the space or the index in that vector and that can make problems such as Fibonacci way easier way efficiently and way more cost time effective following up with greedy algorithms a greedy algorithm is an algorithmic strategy that makes the best optimal choice at each small stage with the goal of this eventually leading to a globally optimum solution this means that the algorithm picks the best solution at the moment without regarding for consequences Greedy algorithms, mostly but not always, fail to find the globally optimal solution because they usually do not operate exhaustively on all the data, as we mentioned. Examples of such greedy algorithms are Kruskal's algorithm and Prim's algorithm for finding minimum spanning trees. More on this later, you can search them and they're pretty freaking awesome. Um, section 6, backtracking. Backtracking is a general algorithm for finding all or some solutions to some computational problems notably constraint satisfaction problems that incrementally builds candidates to the solutions and abandons a candidate or backtracks as soon as it determines that the candidate cannot possibly be completed to a valid solution there are various problems like the problem of the end queens and the kakuto problem kakuto is a japanese game which is basically a uh, combination between sudoku and a crossword 
puzzle thing. It's 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 kind of a weird thing. However, we needed to complete this as one of our projects for the course. Uh, Kakuro problem, meaning Kakuro creation and Kakuro solver. Now, if you want to solve that Kakuro, you will need to use backtracking most probably. Backtracking, what it does, it, it's basically when you have a decision tree, say you start at point, I don't know, point zero, then you got, say, two roads. And what if you take the right one? If you take the right one, then you get another two more options. And then you take the left one, and then you get two more options, and so on and so forth. Well, it could be that at the end of one of those roads, it just wasn't the one. It wasn't solvable at all. So what does backtracking do? It cuts that one branch. It cuts it, it disregards it, and it continues, or better said, it just ignores that one branch, and it focuses on solving all the other ones. Okay, this in a computer would look like forks, forks and threads. What they, what forks and threads do is they help you out by having more arms for the program, meaning that they can be exhaustively used for exhaustive problems like this one. And in a fork approach, it would be interesting because if one of those forks die, meaning that if one of those forks finds an error, the whole program won't go to hell. <laughs> if you use threads, however, then you are iterating over the same job, meaning that if one of those threads finds an error, it all goes to hell. If you want to know more about this, wait until principles of operating systems and it'll all be clear for you, or just look it up <laughs> on the internet, interwebs or whatever. Um, later on, we go with genetic algorithms. The genetic algorithm is a method for solving both constrained and unconstrained optimization problems that is based on natural selection, the process that drives biological evolution, basically. The genetic algorithm repeatedly modifies a population of individual solutions to get a new one. And we had to do this for our first project. We had to create a program in which the input would be a nice picture and the computer would have to create that same picture out of a messy randomized picture of pixels what we had to do is that we had to have a similarity function that would compare the input with what we already had at the time and through various modifications and populations and uh, mutations we had to arrive to something that looked very, very similar to that input picture. Um, of course, the more iterations you gave it, the better it looked. The less iteration you gave it, the worse it looked. It's a pretty interesting concept to grasp and to play around with, so I really recommend you guys to look into those because they're pretty fun. Uh, section 8, probabilistic algorithms. A probabilistic algorithm is an algorithm where the result and or the way the result is obtained depend on chance. <laughs> These algorithms are also sometimes called randomized algorithms. And there are two main examples, okay? A Monte Carlo algorithm is a randomized algorithm whose output may be incorrect with a certain and a typically small probability. Las Vegas algorithm are the subset of Monte Carlo algorithms uh, that always produce the correct answer because they make random choices as part of their work. The time taken might vary between runs even with the same input, meaning that it'll take more time sometimes even if the, it has the same 
input because it does a lot of chance running, but it always gives the right answer. However, Monte Carlo, it doesn't give different times. It always tries to do it the fastest route, but it also gives you wrong solutions. Uh, number nine, parallel computing. Um, parallel computing, as you will see more in Principles of Operating Systems, basically means that you can parallelize a task in a computer based on forks and threads, as we previously mentioned. And how you use these to solve problems in computer science and software engineering are very important, just as we mentioned in the Kakuro example. Uh, number 10, and that would be the last one, methods of compression and encryption your mind will be enlightened and you'll be now conscious of how encrypted files and compressed files are made. Basically, with certain algorithms that make patterns and repeated characters in a file summarized and grouped together into a new file. And that's how you reduce the number of bytes in that new compressed or encrypted file or just modify the, the, the amount of bytes with uh, some pretty interesting and clever algorithms. Well, as you may have seen, this is a lot to digest. That's It's a lot to open up your mind to, and it's a lot to be learning constantly algorithms and different technologies and different approaches. And I don't know how many times I said algorithm in this course. It's, it's I think it's, I mean, in this episode, I think it's a new record. <laughs> but here is where I want to, point out to Andrew Sadios engineering IRL because he has a lot of good strategies, a lot of good points regarding engineering and learning new technologies, learning new approaches. How do you merge that with your own insight and how do you make sophisticated and cool solutions by yourself based on the things that you already know? How do you empty your mind so that you can get more information in and be clearer with what you know. It's pretty amazing, guys. I seriously recommend you guys go check him out. Uh, give him some love. Give him some listens. Because he's got a lot of valid points and a lot of experience. So listen up and go to him. Uh, second of all, thank you very much for listening on this very awesome course. I love this course back in college. If I could take one again just for the fun of it, it would be this one, just for the fun of it. I also had the blessing to be with a professor that was by far the best professor I've ever had in my freaking life. He was a genius. He explained everything so clearly and passionately. He knew what he was talking about and he was really just a cool dude, you know? <laughs> he told us what everything was without much hassle, without much complexity, very simple, very to the point, and we learned a lot. I actually had a lot of fun, um, and I know my classmates did as well. Well, guys, thank you very much for your time, for listening, for spending with me on this episode, and I will just let you guys on a little secret. We've had 3,300 reproductions on this month, meaning that based on the previous month. Actually, it's 3,700 and something, which means it's also almost, I think it, it is more. We got twice the listens than last month, which is pretty amazing. I just I just figured that out. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, 
So yeah, guys, um, I'm I'm really happy of doing this. I love it. I love to go over what I learned. It it helps me build more confidence in myself. Uh, remember things that I gotta remember. Be sharp as a tech, and and I love it. I just love also helping people, mentoring everybody else, uh, being with you guys on this awesome journey of being professionals. So thank you very much for your time, and hope you have a great day, a, a great week, great month, great life. Take care, everybody. God bless. Bye-bye.